And welcome back to another Integrated Interventions podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Dundas. I'm the Director of Education. Also joining us is Executive Director Chris Garrett and Director of Operations, Ashley Ryder. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having us. Awesome. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Um, I'm going to be going through a series of verbatim questions. Um, these are direct questions that we receive from parents and educational consultants. And I know that you'll, you've heard several of these and you'll be able to answer them better than I ever could. So let's go ahead and start with the first one. Why do we have communication holds? Uh, always a good question. I think most parents that send their students into our program are used to a communication hold or something like a communication hold. Um, and oftentimes, you know, we're, we're bringing in students from other programs. Maybe they spent some time at home. Parents might feel like they've made a lot of ground in terms of their relationship with the student. And then they come to us and we're asking for a communication hold. Uh, the main reason why we look at communication hold right off the bat for that first 30 days is to help the student shift their focus on who they're dependent on, right? Typically when they come to us, they're dependent on parents to solve problems or answer their questions, that sort of thing. And we really want them to depend on the program and the program staff to start building relationship with them so that when a, an issue or situation comes up, they're reaching out to us and not mom and dad. Um, we want to start fostering a more adult relationship with the parents as opposed to the parent-child relationship that they're used to. Um, the other piece to that that I think is a good thing to think about is that not every student comes in with a communication hold. We are custom fit. So if we, if we take a look at a student and we feel like they shouldn't have a communication hold right off the bat or they're coming into the program and they could benefit from some contact with parents, then we would definitely have that on the table as something that they could, they could do. Um, so it's, it's definitely customizable in that way. But general default, expect to have a 30-day communication hold. All right, next question centers around students taking on their own bills. Why should students take on their own bills? Why is that important? I think first and foremost, it teaches responsibility. When students first come into program, they are shown the integrated farm as well as the integrated thrift store if they're an Idaho-based student. If they're a Texas-based student, there are ample opportunities for work as well. And when a student is working for the program, they are first learning how to pay for their grocery card. So students have a goal of working a minimum of five hours per week to be able to budget and pay for those groceries. Then as time goes by, then we'll start to add other layers to their their financial responsibilities as well. It could be if the house is not equipped with a washer and dryer, they will then pay for their own laundry costs. Or if a student wants faster internet or a certain type of cable, then we'll build that into their bills as well. So it's taking those smaller steps to be able to take on more and more responsibilities with the end goal in mind of being as independent as possible when they are done and leaving program. Yeah, when you think about a person's hierarchy of needs, uh, people need to eat, right? Like that's at the, the basis of, of what they need to survive. They need to eat, they need to have shelter, they need to have these basic things. And the way most of us obtain those things is through work. We work, we earn money, we're able to pay for those things. So we're tr a young adult transition program. We want students to transition into real life. So the first thing we want to do is tie basic needs to work to build that work ethic. What are some of the bills that we may, that they may take on? I know we start with food. Uh, I know cell phone is an example, uh, but what are some of the typical bills that we might encourage a student to take on? They might take over, like we said before, their 
internet bill or a cable bill, they may then work into saving for a vehicle. If they have a vehicle paying for their own car insurance. And as we build on some of their life goals, like education, they may help with college tuition or pay for a portion of their books um, to even some of their social engagement activities. And so as their special interest activities in the community, like disc golf or a bowling league, something that ties with their hobbies, they might be responsible for that as well. Yeah, we've gone so far as to have students help pay for their rent for their apartment um, in preparation to move into their own place. And lots of ways we can set that up for success in terms of saving a portion of that for a down payment and that sort of thing. Um, but we really want them to, to be responsible for everything in their life, really, at the end of the day. But start off small and, and build on it. Well, and it seems less daunting, too, as you add little pieces together versus, all right, you have all these things. Uh, now you're responsible what is the mentor's role at Integrated Interventions? This is a question that we do get a lot. First and foremost, it's building relationships. We believe that if you are not, if you cannot build a relationship with students, you're going to struggle having students do the things that they might need, such as going out for work ethic or showing up for tutoring or therapy or some of the other components of the program. When mentors come in, we often talk to them about the different applications they have to do, the different clinical notes, et cetera. But again, we always come back to relationships. When we talk about relationships, it is that walking that fine line of getting to know the students, letting the students get to know you within uh, professional parameters and boundaries and building upon those responsibilities for that student. Yeah. A lot of times I look at our, our mentors as role models for our students. Um, because we do employ mentors of all ages, all different backgrounds. We're not looking for people that have specifically worked in the mental health field. We're looking for people that have worked in all different types of fields, all different walks of life, so that we can expose the students to different types of people, different ideas, and really set them up as role models as opposed to just, just a therapeutic mentor. Um, students attend therapy they you know they attend school they do all these other scheduled structured things and the mentors are a part of that but the biggest part is that relationship that Ashley's talking about of building a relationship helping the student get involved in other activities outside of the program so that they can transition successfully into real life um, and really be a, a role model for what appropriate relationships look like with other people uh, oftentimes parents ask us and it's probably on the list, but they ask us like, where are my students supposed to make friends? How are they, how are they supposed to operate? Um, if they're not in a house full of other students that are just like them, well, this is, it's through the mentorship. It's through getting out in the community with mentors, engaging in activities that they both enjoy, exposing the students to new activities and other people in the community that way. Well, and being around just someone who has a similar diagnosis doesn't always offer that forward progress that can compound it further. Right. Right. Yeah. We see a lot of that. I mean, we're, we're built to mirror what's in front of us. Um, so if you have a, a household full of students with the same diagnosis, you're going to get a lot of mirroring. You're going to have a lot of the same behaviors that trickles throughout the entire house, throughout all the students that you, it's unavoidable when you have that big of a group. So we really, we really like to have the, the smaller groups and the students building calendars and schedules and going their own ways building out their own life. So what do you do in terms of consequences? Um, this will be a question that be asked is what do you do for a consequence and a punishment when my student smokes pot or drinks alcohol? Yeah, it, it really depends. 
it depends on the student, depends on how they're accessing the substances. It depends on whether they're doing it out in public or in their house, that sort of thing. As a general rule, we don't allow substances inside of program houses. Okay, so that's that's the general rule. Some students come to the program, they're over 21, and they they can drink socially and it's not a problem. And that, that wouldn't be a problem for them to be drinking outside of their home as long as it's not in the program house. Um, typically, though, we we encourage sobriety with all of our students. That's That's where we start. Not all students are involved in that, and we rely on natural consequences. You know, most of these substances are illegal for students in the program, and if they get caught, generally it's a it's a law enforcement interaction with them. We're not typically out to call law enforcement and, and force that interaction. Um, we rely on the natural consequences, and we rely on, uh, to be honest, our um, relationship with the student, encouraging them to make better choices. Than, than what they're making. We found that if you have a, a good, solid relationship with a couple of mentors, that can make all the difference in the world in choosing sobriety over over this other type of, of living. So, so really it comes down to that. It comes down to consistency, trying to help them understand what the natural consequences are. Sometimes they have to live through it, um, and then we move on from there. And I think it's important to point out that because we're having students pay for their own groceries and laundry and all the other adult items that nicotine, alcohol, all the other substances are going to fall on them as well. And so if they're already having to learn to work for their money, nicotine is going to fall lower on that list because when students go out to a grocery store, nicotine is something that is not allowed on a grocery card, for example. And that's not necessarily a program rule. It's how the grocery stores are set up. As students get community-based employment and they are making their own money and paying their own bills, that might be a little bit more accessible. Yeah. So no arbitrary consequences for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So nicotine is allowed if the student is 21 years of age or older. Yeah. Because be. that can be a question that comes up as well. Because if they come from another state where mm-hmm. it's 18, and then they come here and they're expecting to be able to purchase those items only to find out that, you know, I can't do that because I'm not of legal age. Right. Yeah. In the state of Idaho, you have to be 21 to purchase it. Uh, I don't know all the laws around it, but. Definitely have to be 21 to purchase it. But yeah, if you are 21 and you use nicotine, it's not it's not a problem for the program. And if you want to quit, then we'll help you quit. Yeah, a lot of resources. Yeah. Community-wide for that kind of stuff. Yep. Is dating allowed? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that both of you can touch on this subject. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we want our students to practice safety along um, anytime that they're planning on dating. So that safety can be working with their mentors or working with their case managers or anybody here in the program and learning what it means to have safe dating etiquette to if they do meet somebody out in the community, being able to introduce that their partner, whomever their interest is for that week, um, to the staff here at Integrated. And again, it comes down to safety, not a control aspect, but we want to know that the dating interest knows that the student is in a program. We want to know, um, be able to describe their appearance to the police if that is something that comes about later on. Um, but absolutely, dating is allowed. Yeah, I mean, it'll be no surprise to parents that a lot of students come in with a history of using social media and, and different apps to access dating. Um, and they think of that as dating, but it's not, it's not actually, 
it's not actually dating, <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. And, and what Ashley's talking about is actually taking a student through a curriculum of, of the, the do's and don'ts of dating and social interaction. It's really helpful for our students on the autism spectrum and uh, other students that, that struggle with those social interactions. Um, you know, they've learned that it's much easier just to swipe right or left, whichever way you swipe to accept and then hook up with the person and then come home at the end of the night. And, and we're really trying to teach them safer ways to engage with the opposite sex or with the same sex, if that's the case, um, rather than, than just relying on those apps for hookups. Yeah. We usually connect that relationship building portion in the social etiquette classes, the dating etiquette classes as well. It's something that our mentors work day in and day out to build those relationships with students. And so we're going to encourage our students in building out on dates as well. So when I've taught the dating etiquette class, it's usually the first thing that we start with is what does a relationship mean to you? And what are some things that you can ask somebody that you're looking at dating and, and building that relationship? And oftentimes with some of our students, it'll be, do you like tall or short, fat or thin? And I often guide them at what if we ask questions about hobbies and interests and then build on that because then you taking what their hobbies and interests are, it will help you plan out a date. For example, I worked with a student on a dating etiquette class where I was the example for the student, asked me my hobbies and interests. And without coming out and saying that I'm vegan, I came out and said, well, actually, my hobbies and interests are exploring the community and restaurants and being able to figure out who offers the best vegetable options or the best vegetarian or vegan options. And then that alluded to a question by that student of, are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? I said, Oh, actually, yes, I am. And then when he planned out that next date, he had made sure that he had found somewhere in the area that had vegan options. And then we just kept layering that. So our next dating etiquette class, for example, is to go to a basketball game. Right. And that's because we found a common interest. He asked me what I like to do. I enjoy sports. And he's like, well, I enjoy sports as well. But here's some of the issues that come across. Well, great. Let's plan this date together where it can meet your needs and also fulfill my interests. That's something that you want to do with a companion or a partner. And most likely it'll end with Ashley and the student yelling at the referee and getting kicked out of the <laughs> basketball game. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine That's normally head. what happens at basketball games, right? Well, yeah, especially if you get the people who are are actively seeking out the critique of the referee. Right. Yeah. I'm just imagining what that's like right now. Basically, <laughs> Ashley being escorted out by security. Well, if my dad's ever listening, it almost happened to him and myself at one point. So that's a story for another podcast. Here's another question um, that has been asked a lot. Uh, we need a list of things that you want our student to bring with them. We don't have any idea what they should bring. Yeah, as part of the intake process for all new students, that packing list is usually an email that comes from the business office. And parents are often surprised on how few items are on that list. So it's basic clothing items, jeans, t-shirt, long sleeve shirt, athletic wear, shorts, sweatpants, just real basic day-to-day -day attire that they that'll prepare them for the gym, for work ethic, for lounging around the house, going out in the community, um, et cetera. There might be a little bit of um, special items for the area. So for example, for the students coming into Coeur d'Alene, we're gonna add snow boots and snow pants and a snow jacket, where in Texas in the summertime, we might add different needs there. Then 
after their basic clothing items, we're looking at basic hygiene items like a toothbrush, toothpaste, hairbrush, mouthwash, shampoo and conditioner. But outside of those items, we really don't want the students to come with a lot of items. One, because they become a a hazard or a risk of getting stolen or broken or misplaced. Um, but two, we go back to wanting those students to work for some of those extra items. So outside of their basic needs, that really is all that we ask them to pack. Yeah, we really want students earning earning the things that they obtain to, to live at the end of the day. You know, it, it can be a hard switch for parents who've always taken care of all the basic needs to, to stop doing that. Uh, and and frankly, I don't I don't blame them because typically it's because they don't trust that their that their student their child can work hard enough or work well enough to obtain the necessary items. But that's the first that's the first thing we want to tackle. That's the first step to independence. So so getting out of that mindset of I need to provide all the basics for my for my son or daughter, we need you out of that mindset and trust that the program won't uh, you know allow the student to starve. We won't allow them to go for weeks without taking a shower and some of these basic things, hygiene things, but we are going to push them. We want them to be uncomfortable so that they can push themselves to earn these types of things and take care of their basic needs on their own. Um, because if we miss that step in this whole process, we're, we're not going to get anywhere else. We're not going to see some of the higher functioning that, that parents are hoping for without getting those basics down first. I feel like that's a good way to transition to our next question, our series of questions that focus on the kind of more day-to-day aspects of a student's time here at Integrated Interventions. Um, one question that I've heard more than once, of course, uh, their calendar is empty and they say they never do anything. Yeah, it's always a great, it's great to put that back on your student and ask them why, right? And then what's the response? Do you know? It's probably on your paper. It probably is. <laughs> no, the response is typically, uh, there's nobody here to help me do it. They're not saying I have to do it. Um, I don't want to do it. You know, there's lots of different responses, but typically it's, you know, uh, nobody's here to help me and there's nothing to do. Even if I put it on there, nobody's going to pick me up, that sort of thing, uh, which is which is kind of counterintuitive. Uh, if they if they work on a calendar, work with their coordinator on building a solid schedule, that they'll know when they have rides and when they don't have rides and can plan around those different things. And sometimes we'll plan it out to where they don't have a ride so they have to problem solve and find a ride on their own or maybe reschedule that that appointment. So there's there's lots of things a student can learn from building out a calendar. What we find is most students are resistant to it because it's it requires responsibility. It requires work ethic to think ahead and, and build out your calendar. Um, so generally it's just avoided and then it becomes uncomfortable. You know, then they want to ride somewhere. It's not on their calendar. We say no. And then they call parents and say that we never take them anywhere. And parents say, well, what about, is it on your schedule? And they say, no, nobody ever helped me build it out. They're like, we see it all the time. Uh, you probably hear it in my voice when I talk about it. It's, it's definitely a thing. Um, but when a student is filling out their calendar and working with their coordinator on that, we see some real cool things happen and, and we can help them uh, reach all their goals through through that calendar. Well, not filling out a, a calendar is a great way to avoid responsibility if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we see that quite a bit because um, another thing I see a lot is fear of the unknown. I think sometimes it's scary to be held to doing something. And if you write it onto your calendar, I've had students tell me, well, if I write this down, then they're going to force me to do it. Well, that's not the case at all. We're just trying to come up with a way that 
to help manage your time. Um, what are some of the other things that you come across that students will say that what students will say in relation to that to not have to do a calendar? Uh, sometimes I see it has to do with I've never had to do a paper calendar before. I only use my phone. Usually that's a manipulation to get their phone. Um, but sometimes that's legitimate. So then we got it. Okay. So if you're not going to do a paper calendar, let's switch to the phone one because you've earned your phone back or you came in with your phone, whatever that looks like. And let's see if you can utilize the technology and share that with your coordinator and you guys both have access. We'll definitely work around those things. Um, but typically it's a manipulation to not have to do something. So we want action. Um, I always think Ashley's the best person to talk about calendars because she probably keeps two or three and manages multiple people's calendars, including my own at times. Um, so just the benefits of teaching student that skill. Uh, I don't know, Ashley, what do you Yeah, I think when students get a job in the community, it doesn't matter what industry you work in, there's going to be a series of events that you have to accomplish. And so I think of being a waitress, being a waitress that's not going to the restaurant's not going to tell you, you're going to have a table every 30 minutes on the, you know, on, on the minutes. Instead, they're going to have a series of when a, a table sits down, this is what you do first. This is what you do second, third. And in a lot of ways that is like building out a calendar. It's building out that step-by-step and we can translate that responsibility in just a day-to-day. I, like Chris said, I keep <laughs> three or four calendars um, that are all separate from one another. And there are many times where I might have an appointment that's supposed to start at one o'clock, but I'm just not going to make that appointment because something else has come up. I'm not going to lose my job because I didn't make such and such appointment, but having it there, it does help me plan for my day, plan for my week and just have an, an overall understanding of what needs to be done because I don't know if I can speak for anybody else in this room, but even on my, my off days, if I don't have anything on my calendar, um, I could be found in bed watching Netflix and watching the newest Dahmer series or whatever, <laughs> that, whatever that entails. So even on my weekends, I might have, this is the day I'm going grocery shopping. This is the day I'm going to meal plan, meal prep, et cetera. Yeah. And that, the, the calendar side of it as well. And, and this is good for parents to know if their student is saying, I haven't made a calendar. Um, a lot of times that's tied to their resistance to making a meal plan and a grocery list. Um, because we want their meal plan to be a part of their calendar. What meals are you eating? Planning that out so that they have food every day that week uh, and then making a list based off of that. So I know that's something we wanted to address. Uh, We do want students creating a meal plan. We do want them working on uh, grocery shopping lists so that when they're going to the the grocery store, they're prepared. They can get in there, fight the holiday uh, crowds and stuff like we're facing right now. And, and get out with what they need and not overspend. So it's a, it's a huge tool that we use to help the students learn. And if they're resistant to it for the first three months, they're resistant to it. And eventually they come around. Um, typically we can out, outweigh a student if we need to, or life does get difficult. We have that basics box that, that can come into play in those circumstances as well. We have some students too that are able to operate in uncomfortable zones for long periods of time. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And we see that with students will say, I'm not going to grocery shop. I'm not going to budget. You can't starve me. Or they'll say, go ahead and starve me. And that's just not going to happen in programs. So for those students who won't take on the responsibility of building out a weekly plan or working for that grocery card and budgeting, then we build out a basic box, which typically includes uh, dried rice, dried beans, no sugar added fruit, uh, some cans of no salt added vegetables 
vegetables, oatmeal, and sometimes yogurt for those students that desire. And even the yogurt, it's going to be a plain, a plain yogurt, nothing fun and fancy. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of recreating real life scenario of if, if you're choosing, willfully choosing not to work for your, your food, typically what ends up happening is you end up at a food bank or something along those lines. And, uh, you know, we don't encourage our students to do that because most of them can earn their own food. Um, there, from time to time, we, we have accepted students and have students that, that may not be able to do that. And we work out a custom plan for them that's, that's different. But for a student that's capable, we want them to be uncomfortable and feel what it's like to, to have to really scrape by. Um, and sometimes that works. Uh, more than often it works. There are a few exceptions to that, though. People that, that just never, never want to go there. But they should be used to the types of food that they're getting when they exit program, you know, in that case. So. How does creativity land within this type of schedule? Uh, because if you think of a calendar, you're like, well, how much creativity can there be? But there are a lot of creative options that we can put forth in a calendar. What are some of those options? So first in building out their calendar, we ask them to enter work ethic portion. So that could be working at the farm, out at the thrift store, different community options. And then if there is an educational component like tutoring or driver's ed or financial literacy classes, we'll ask them to build those out in the calendar. Or if a student has a community-based job, entering that work schedule in first. The rest of the boxes on that calendar are built out in our boxes that are, they're blank. And if students really don't have a direction, we'll ask, what time of the day do you wake up? Let's fill in that box. Go and wake up. Do you take medications? Let's fill in that box. If what time do you do your hygiene? What time do you do your cleaning? Then they'll really find that the the program might feel like there's a lot of responsibility to hit work ethic and education, et cetera. But when they see it visually, they're going to see that they have a lot more empty boxes than they do filled boxes. So then we'll encourage them to look at free events in the community. They can work with their mentors and finding events in, on Facebook or events on posters or in the Inlander or in a newspaper and sparking those interests. Or if they're not events that are in those kind of applications, then we will look at nature-based options. Do you like to go for a hike? What are you doing for physical fitness? What are you doing for a creative outlet? What are you doing for spirituality? And all of those lend to a, a creative side as well. Yeah, we, we definitely want students and parents to understand that we're trying to create a balanced calendar, a balanced life. So there's, there should be blank spots on the calendar that aren't scheduled. Um, I know parents oftentimes don't like seeing blank spots in ca on calendars, but we really are trying to turn these young adults into young adults and not somebody who's being controlled by the program or controlled by their parents anymore. And we don't want to force them to put things in places that, number one, we know they're not going to do it, or number two, it's just going to create a power struggle because they don't want to do it. Um, we need some kind of balance. And for some students, that might mean four hours a day of downtime where they need to just sit, veg, relax, uh, recover from all the cognitive things they had to do earlier in the day that were, were overwhelming. You know, we see this with our students on the autism spectrum. They might need to engage in something that's stimulating in a different way because they've used used up all the brain power on the other other parts of the program that day. So, so it's all about balance. And, uh, you know, we always hope to, to have lots of things on the calendar. Um, but we, we try to encourage students to put things that are interesting to them on the calendar that are going to help them move forward so they can be a part of their plan and be bought in and invested in it as opposed to us imposing things. 
Another aspect that we like to talk to parents about when it comes to the scheduling is how we utilize our mentors in that process. Uh, sometimes a student will have a very weak schedule at the beginning of the week, and we, we employ mentors to come in and, and build a relationship with those students. So the mentors can actually come in and take a look at that schedule and say, hey, I notice you have you know time to do nothing on Thursday and Friday, and I'll probably be here on Thursday maybe we can plan to go for a hike or maybe we can go bowling because that's something I like to do. Uh, I can introduce you to some people at the bowling alley, uh, that sort of thing. So so we definitely want there to be room for the mentors to, to influence those schedules as well, um, as well as the student's coordinator. And even... You know, I, I definitely welcome parents when they when they can jump in and say, hey, this this student of mine used to like to do X, Y and Z. And I noticed that, you know, I jumped on Google and Googled your area and there's five different events happening this week that they might be interested in. It's always good, good information to have. Um, so so we do want there to be some flexibility within the schedule and also to help train them to get those bigger activities planned with our activities coordinator as well. Uh, which which can be really cool. It can be anything from a multi-day activity down to just going somewhere, you know, where it costs a little bit of money, but maybe you're taking a small trip to go rock hounding up in the mountains or something along those lines. So we we want all that to, to come into play. Well, camping is a good example of a multi-day activity yeah. that we've had mentors take students on in the past that is usually met with uh, a lot of enthusiasm. Sometimes we have students that have trouble coming up with ideas uh, it's been mentioned in the past about reverse scheduling. It's something that's a little foreign to me, but I know it's something that you're very familiar with, Ashley. Can you talk about what, what reverse scheduling means in this instance? Yeah, so there are some students who might not be resistant to scheduling out their day or even their week, but they really are just not in the habit of putting together a calendar. And so we will work with, or we'll have our students work with mentors in reverse scheduling, which means that they will go out for that entire day with a blank piece of paper. And instead of filling in what they're going to do, they will fill out what they've done for the day. And so um, if the student goes grocery shopping for that day for two hours, instead of planning for that grocery shopping ahead of time, we they'll look at their their watch and say, okay, 9 a.m. we showed up at the grocery store and it took us two hours to go to the grocery store, grocery store today. And so then they'll fill in that block for that and they'll just go backwards. And they might do that for a couple days, a couple weeks, maybe even a month until they can build out a pattern and they will recognize that it takes me two hours every Monday to go grocery shopping. Or I really enjoy when this mentor is working with me and when this mentor works with me, I know I'm always going to go bowling. And so let's just plan for bowling that day. And so it's just working backwards to learn how to move forward or work forward on a calendar. And they also realized too long the way that they were more capable than they realized. Yeah. I think that's an exciting thing. You know, when you have those light bulb moments where they may have been doing something all along and they made it, didn't necessarily realize it because of that muscle memory, or they've brought in previous things that led to them thinking they weren't capable. And then all of a sudden, like, wait a second, I do this, this, and this, and the schedule helps reaffirm that. Big question we've we've heard uh, many times is, can my student have their cell phone in their computer and how is that monitored and controlled? Great question. The answer is maybe. Yes and no, sometimes. Um, so we're a custom program. Generally, as a general rule, we don't allow students to come in with those, those personal items like the telephone or the computer, but that's not necessarily true for all of our students. We would like to say bring as little from home as possible that costs a lot of money and means a lot to you. Um, 
So a computer definitely falls in that realm. If a student has to have that for schooling or something along those lines, we can definitely talk to, to the family about that and, and keep it locked up somewhere. Um, but as a general rule, we can take care of anything technological that the student needs to do in that first month of program. We can take care of it. It's it's not a necessity. So general rule of thumb, no, don't don't bring those devices. Don't even send them with your student if you can help it, um, because it just creates more problems on the end. Uh, on the flip side, if you have to send it with them and we are going to set that up as a rule, uh, expect them to be very upset when when they don't have their their phone or their computer for that first 30 days. But if it's something they absolutely have to have, then we'll, we'll talk to you about it and come up with a plan before the student enrolls in the program. And when the students do have that ability to come in with that computer and that cell phone, if the electronics have proposed an issue in the past, then coordinators will work, will work with their students in building out an electronic use contract. And that really is typically led by the students. And so the students will write this contract and really get, just get a sign off by their coordinator. And that contract will will just list not necessarily consequences, but more expectations. What hours do you plan on using the computer in between this time and this time? What happens when late at night you get really bored and you can't sleep and this starts to become an issue that, that at what point do we then build in consequences? And it's not the program that's building out the consequences. It's really the students building out those consequences for themselves. And then the mentors and the coordinators just holding those students to the expectations that they've built out. What we'd really like to see when students come into the program, especially around phone usage, that's a great thing to put back on the student and tie to work ethic. If you want a telephone, you should be paying for it. Um, a lot of students come into the program with the perception that um, devices and the ability to make phone calls and all this stuff is free. And it's something that should be provided to everybody for free. But the reality is somebody's paying for it. And usually it's the parents. Uh, we encourage our students to save money by their own phone, by their own minutes or plan, however that looks. And a lot of times that's a basic flip phone right out right out of the gate, which are a little bit easier to monitor and, and control. Um, and if they end up going through a window or against the wall, not as expensive to replace. So we encourage the students to build on that as opposed to just handing them something that they already don't appreciate and don't appreciate the work that, that went into getting that for them. So. Another thing for parents to think about, same same with the computers. I, I love when we have a, a student that's been with us for a number of years who's saved up and fixed his computer a couple of times and bought a new computer uh, based on work that he's done in the program and saving his money. It's taught him a lot about budgeting, saving money, and, and uh, buying things, and then valuing what you bought because you worked hard for it. Yeah, so definitely kind of realigning of values too along the way. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to join us and to talk about some of these questions because um, we'll have people ask us these, but to have them in one resource, I think is what's really awesome about this, these family resource podcasts is this is number four and we'll be working our way towards part number five here down the road. Uh, but thanks again for, for doing that and adding your insights because you learn a lot as you go and both of you have been able to uh, add a lot to what we bring to the table in terms of answering these questions. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. No problem. Thanks, Patrick. Awesome. Well, thanks again. So this has been an Integrated Interventions podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe. All the things, social media, the IG, the Instagram. Make sure to check that out. Um, and we'll see you next time.